Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is Offscript, the podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to discuss anything that ended up on the cutting room floor. I'm excited to get started today. This is week three of our Lenten sermon series called Promises, Promises, where we're talking about the covenants that God has made with God's people throughout our whole salvation history. Yeah, and so this week we're talking about Moses. Do you have a, like a God voice for Moses? <laughs> Uh, I don't. Oh, you mean like from the like Charlton Helston? Yeah, types or of? Prince of Egypt. So I have a confession. Oh, I've never seen Prince of <gasps> Egypt. Chris, I've I was, read the book. So I was <laughs> thinking about so I was going to tell you. So Prince of Egypt. So Ashley, I guess you're like our producer. So every time I watch the scene with the burning bush, I ball. What? Yeah, there's whatever. No it, kidding. Yes, however they captured is so moving and also moses is my cartoon crush i don't know he's very, interesting he's a very well and you know who voices moses and that one i don't you don't no val kilmer val kilmer so uh, val kilmer is your yeah now your cartoon crush voice. Ra- i like the cartoon better His vo- <laughs> have you seen tombstone yes i'm your huckleberry yeah like that's that is moses yeah okay but anyway, you should watch Prince of I Egypt. need to watch it. It's it's very well done. Yeah, I was just talking about this yesterday with Paul Maletic, who's our pastor of Youth and Family Ministries. And he, he says, you know, every generation has their uh, film version of this story of Moses. Yeah. And so for a long time, it was Charlton Heston, Ten yeah. Commandments. And then for a certain generation, it was Prince of Egypt. Yeah. Because it, that came out in 98. I just looked it up yesterday because we were having this discussion. Ray Fiennes, by the way, Voldemort, is Ramsey's. Oh. Um, the cast of that movie is incredible. Yeah. Somehow I didn't. So anyway, the point that we were talking about yesterday is somebody probably needs to update it because it's been now a full generation. Oh my gosh. Can you believe that? Since I can't. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but yeah, you should watch it. It's great. So I do, this was a question for later, but if they were to remake that, who do you think would play Moses? <laughs> the, like cartoon and voice or like an actor? If there's an actor, like real life. Um... What about like Jonah Hill? <laughs> Wouldn't that be <laughs> that be funny? Right? No. No, I think that's great. Uh, who's that's... the one who voices um, the snowman in Frozen? Josh Gad. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be pretty funny. But if you're going serious, um, who would be? Who was like the? I I don't know. Who do you I think? I don't know. If it was like Benedict. Cumberbatch or something, something like really weird or r- random. <laughs> Ashley's giving or, us lots of signals of like, what are you, you thinking? <laughs> you could go a whole different route and go Chris Evans. Yeah. Like Captain America could be Moses. Yeah. That'd be awesome. So, so if we wanted to be culturally... I, so I, so fair my point. First, so fair my point, first Ashley. Pick, my first pick would be, uh, I always say his name wrong, Idris Elba. Idris Elba. Idris, yeah. Yes. I think he would be a good Moses. The accent would be very distracting. His face would be distracting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say that. <laughs> what about Morgan Freeman? He yeah, would he would I only mean, be good for old Moses. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd watch Morgan Freeman read a phone book. I mean, yeah. he's, 
but somebody who's like a Middle Eastern actor. Okay, how about the guy? Well, I'm gonna. How about the guy who plays Roy Kent? Yeah, from yeah. Ted Lasso. Yeah, yeah, he could. Do I it. could. <laughs> you could watch him do anything. Well, no, no, I couldn't. I could only see <laughs> Roy Kent holding up the Ten Commandments. Oi! The yeah. Ten Commandments. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right. We're off the rails already. We are. This is a very serious subject. This is. The Ten Commandments. Sorry. This is why I should not be part of this, because <laughs> this is what happened. Um, okay. So your sermon, let's, your sermon, you talk about your kids' involvement in sports. Mm-hmm. So what sports were you involved with when you were growing up? Did you have like a sport? Uh, well, so by the time I got to junior high, senior high, running was my thing. I was a real, little skinny kid. And so I was cross country, indoor track and track. We were state champions of the 800, 4x800 relay oh, okay. when I was a senior. Yes, my, okay. claim, my sports claim to fame. Okay. So, and it was a small school. So Class C, <laughs> in the Class C division in Maryland. Okay. I went to a school where I graduated with 125 people. So, you know, we're not talking about big scale here, but running was definitely my thing. But when I was little, little, I did soccer. I didn't really like it. Um, I would say, well, and I did flag football. And then I played football for one season with the helmets and the pads until I got hit one time. And I'm like, wait, whoa, yeah, <laughs> that's not for me. And uh, basketball, I loved basketball. It was, I was, you know, just okay at basketball. Okay. And so were you a sports person? I was. So, I mean, sports were very different. Well, they're just different now. Now I feel like mm-hmm. if you play baseball, it's like five nights a week mm-hmm. and it's crazy. So I played like every sport growing up, but it wasn't, it was like once a week. And so, I mean, I probably volleyball and softball were hmm. my best sports, but I played tennis, soccer, basketball. You know, I played, and then I danced too. Hmm. Um, so, what position at softball since uh, we're I was, into the spring? So, I was the pitcher, actually. Whoa. So, you had that fast underarm uh-huh. action? Yeah. And then I also played outfield because I have just I have a good arm. Huh. So Still? Yeah. Like if we put together a church softball league, you could. Yeah. You said that very... I'm okay. just saying. I mean, I would have to stretch a lot, <laughs> but yes. Um, so, yeah. So, how in the world have you coached 25 teams between your two boys? That's yeah, yeah, insane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I mentioned in the sermon that this like this season of our lives, our lives revolve around the kids. Like that's, And that's always the way we dreamed it would be. So, we're it's awesome. It's wonderful. So, when we were in... Um, well, Hen- Henrietta... So, Max was in kindergarten the last year we were in Henrietta so that was when he first started playing sports and then we moved to Sherman which is another relatively small town so when you're in those places if you don't coach they don't play (laughs) it's kind of the way it goes so um I coached uh, Max's basketball team when we were in Henrietta and then but I, I didn't really know much about soccer when we moved to Sherman I mean you just had you had to coach if you wanted to put together a team so I bought a bunch of books on how to coach soccer and so ended up coaching with both the boys. I would coach every season and both of them by the time they were both playing. A couple of years after we got to Sherman, then Sam started playing soccer. And so every, like in the fall, I would coach two teams for soccer. In the spring, I would coach two teams for soccer. And then in the winter, I'd play, coach two teams for basketball. So six teams a year oh for, se- for several years. When we moved to Plano... Um, we didn't really know like the lay of the land and that first year after you move was really busy. And 
So uh, since I've, since we've been here, I've not coached the teams. I've you know helped however they needed me to help, but mostly just been a spectator. This spring, I'm coaching a rec team for Sam because now we kind of know the deal, mm-hmm. and um, he's going to play baseball, and he plays baseball on the team coached by the dad of a friend here in church. So he's got his baseball team is kind of church friends, and then. The basketball team that I'm coaching is more school friends okay. that we've met through these other things. So, yeah, I think it's actually I think it's actually 26, but 28.5 is a is a round number. I think this spring will be the 27th team that I've coached. And that's a I mean that's a big investment of time. It is. Yeah, I'm I'm a one as you point yes. out as you know on the Instagram. So, um, like you've got to do it right you know so there's a lot like i lay out the whole season how how many practices we're going to have what we're going to focus on in each practice and so yeah yeah so do you ever have uh is it hard to not get on your boys if they mess up Mm -hmm. so i honestly have uh i cannot imagine two easier children like they both love sports and they both give their all and they're both talented in different ways and so um, you know, I, I'm super, <laughs> the challenge for me when I'm coaching them, honestly, is not them and their commitment. It's, <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I, I really have to work hard to be chill with the refs <laughs> Okay. <laughs> because I only see when other people foul my kids and I never see when my kids foul other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that's the challenge for me is to remain calm. When I, because you know, part of the part of being a one on the enneagram is like fairness is your thing, like justice and fairness is right. your thing, and so, um, yeah, uh, my biggest spiritual growth as a human over the past fifteen years has been trying to coach those kids. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, when we were in, so we're Whitney loves to tell the story when we were in Henrietta. Uh, I'm, so I'm the Methodist pastor, small town. Everybody knows you. Everybody knows the church. And when I said I would coach the boys' uh, kindergarten team, we put together the team, and, and the lady who cut Whitney's hair in town um, had a player on that team. <laughs> and she confessed to Whitney like three-quarters of the way through the season that she did not want me to coach the kids because she figured as a pastor I would be all kumbaya and not really care about who wins and loses and not really push the boys all that hard. And she's like, he is so competitive. <laughs> And so Whit likes to say, yeah, when you think of Jesus, like if you're going to make a comparison between Jesus and Chris, first of all, not great. But if you're going to uh, think of, don't think of like Jesus stroking the lamb and being real gentle. Yeah. Think of Jesus flipping over the, the tables yeah. in the temple. That's, <laughs> well, there's lots of ways to be like Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I don't know if I'll ever coach because I don't have a lot of patience. So I don't know. I'm telling you, it's a good spiritual discipline. Yeah. And you you know, you don't always turn out looking the most pastoral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's it, it's been great. I mean, I, I just, I I love the whole thing. Yeah. And, and the reason I open up with that illustration is because, like, to me, it really is never about winning and losing. I'm competitive, but it's not, that's not the goal of the, of the journey. Um, every team I've ever coached before every game, I tell them, play hard, do your best, have fun. Those three things. That's, that's what, that's all I care about. If we win, great. If we lose, fine. I prefer to win, mm-hmm. <laughs> but whatever. It's about the it's about the discipline of being out there together, of 
learning some basic skills, but the discipline of learning those skills. It's about the discipline of learning how to play with others. It's about the discipline of not griping about the refs, the discipline of not complaining when things don't go your way. And then how you, you know, the, the kind of a buzzword that is going around parenting circles recently or the past couple of years is grit. You know, you're trying to keep, teach your kids how to muscle through challenging situations. All of that, like that's the, that's the point of athletics to me. Neither one of my kids are going to, I don't think, are going to get athletic scholarships to college. That's not our goal. I mean, if they do, fine. But I, I, I don't anticipate that happening. The point is, can they overcome adversity? Can they, can they be good sports? Can they win and lose with grace? And all of those disciplines, to me, um, are a good kind of life um, comparison, an analogy, I guess, to what, what the law is supposed to be. <laughs> it's yeah. not exactly the same, but there's similarities. Sure. Okay. So let's go into the, so the covenant with Moses is different than the one given to Noah and Abraham, which we've covered the right. last two weeks. So talk right. about the difference, the shift uh, from covenants with really no condition to then this eventually snowballs into 613 laws. So can you talk about yeah. similarities, differences, all that? Yeah, yeah. So the co- the covenant with Noah is a real basic covenant, very limited. <laughs> I won't destroy the earth in this particular way ever again. No no requirement from Noah. Um, with Abraham, you know, God calls him from his from his home, from his from what everything he knows to go and like there's a big carrot. <laughs> you're gonna have all these descendants, and you're gonna have all this land. And you did a nice job talking about both of those things being like the thing you wanted if you were in the ancient Near East at that time. So yeah. um, God makes the promise. And I, to me, that covenant with Abraham, the emphasis is on trust, on Abraham's trust that it's going to happen. Because as you pointed out last week, it takes 25 years for <laughs> that to really bear fruit in the form of a child, yeah. which is what Abraham wanted more than anything else. Abraham Sarah wanted more than anything else. So, and then there's the sign of the covenant. There's the whole circumcision thing. But really, that's, it's about God making a promise and Abraham trusting that promise. So, the, by the time we get to the Israelites being delivered from um, slavery in Egypt, then the covenant at Sinai is very comprehensive. And I think, you know, as Christians, we can misconstrue that. We can misconstrue the law as being this onerous burden that God puts on God's people. No faithful Jew would look at it that way. Okay. <laughs> for, for a, for a faithful Jewish person, the law is a, is a, it's a grace. It's, it's God being very clear on how to be in a relationship with God and different types of, I'm not a rabbi, so I'm, I'm going to keep my remarks here limited, but different types of, um, of Judaism today, interpret the law differently from orthodox um hasidic like kind of very strict interpretation to um uh cultural jews or reformed jews that that take the law a little less rigidly or interpret the law a little less rigidly but the but the grace in it is that god's very clear about what it looks like to love god okay so as a as a one as you mentioned on the enneagram you know Mm -hmm. those are normally as a rule follower mm-hmm. like just so do you like the 10 commandments um also do you like the phrasing you shall or do you wish it was more like you have to do this <laughs> what do you think um do i like the 10 commandments this is a trick question no it's not i'm just curious <laughs> um 
I would say that the Ten Commandments and the law are not part of my own personal piety. I mean, it's a good list. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. I mean, there's. I don't have any quarrel with anything on the Ten Commandments. Um, but it's not. You know, I mean, as a as a follower of Jesus, I we're going to get to this, but the two great commandments don't replace the law. They're kind of a uh, summary and encapsulation of the law. Yeah. So um, there's a tension between law and grace. They're not mutually exclusive, but how Christians, what Christians do with the law is not an uncomplicated thing. <laughs> um, and so, you know, just in general, like generally speaking, I have, I've never had any problem with rules. Like I, I'm a firstborn child. I am one on the Enneagram. Uh, I'm a former Navy officer. Like I, to me, rules are provide clarity and structure, right? Which I think human beings in general need. This human being certainly does. <laughs> so, um, I, it's a little curious to me <laughs> that we put like uh, statues and plaques up to Ten Commandments. Like uh, you know, um, uh, my little brother had uh, a, kind of a. a, a Somebody gave him, gave them this very beautiful depiction of the Ten Commandments, but it kind of interpreted in a child, a childlike way. Like okay. I can't remember what "Don't Commit Adultery" was, but it wasn't that. <laughs> uh, and I certainly understand that because it's they're they occupy this outsized place in our cultural imagination, uh, sure. which is interesting, though. To it me, it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, so do you have Ten Commandments anywhere in your house? Are they up in Andy's room or Jude's room or anything? Anybody yeah. ever give you anything with that? No, I mean, I have them tattooed on my back. Other than that, no. <laughs> no, no, but no, we don't. <laughs> the, but, well, I mean, the point that I made in the sermon was that there are 603 more. Yeah. Now, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I find them to be interesting. Okay. Now, this was a lectionary text, so clearly, and... and you know, Wesley took the law, the founder of Methodism took the law very seriously. But when Wesley was going to talk about how to live your life, he focused on the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't focus on the law per se. Okay. I mean, obviously, we're not supposed to murder. Obviously, we're supposed to honor our mother and father. Obviously, we're not supposed to covet each other's spouses, right? I mean, right. these are, these seem to be no-brainers. Now, at the time, they were, I mean, revolutionary. Like, to say, um, like the... Like, for instance, to say you shall not murder, it doesn't say kill, because there are lots of things you, the law is actually specific that you should kill over. Yeah. <laughs> but to not, to not murder was, like, these are res um, restrictive, you know, in the, in the old, in the old days, if you killed my brother, I killed your, all your cousins, too. Like, mm -hmm. I, there was this escalating level of violence. And so, this was a very form, a way of formalizing, um, a way to be in relationship with one another that was that was very morally uh, stringent, I think we could say, which was a, an advance in society. Yeah. But it, but again, but this is this is a long time ago. <laughs> you know, we've right. evolved quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. So I do have a question with one particular. So um, again, we're in Exodus twenty. Mm -hmm. um, so verse five and six talks about. Um, 
There's one that says punishing children to the third and fourth generation. Yeah. But then showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation. So right. I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of whiplash for readers because mm-hmm. you think, you know, God gave this, this uh, covenant to Abraham before talking about um, all these generations and, and giving grace. And then there's this like, wait, you're going to punish. And then, so can you help unpack that one? Cause that one was just hard for me coming out of the Abraham one, I guess. So uh, this is the second commandment and it takes, <laughs> it's funny, six, seven, eight, nine, we get all those in four verses, four commandments, four verses. This one is four verses, four through six for one commandment. So you shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. So specifically, are you asking, is that the way God works? Like what what you really asking? I really I just explain this for people that really don't understand what it means. Because it is it's it's hard if you don't have background, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the point here is that like fidelity to God is the most important thing. So early the early Jewish our our earliest ancestors in the faith, monotheism was an innovation. <laughs> right? This was a new revelation from mm-hmm. God. Everyone around them was polytheistic. And so God, and and uh, we of course believe there's only one God, and so God I'd, reveals God's self to this to Moses to the people through Moses, and um, of course previously we know God had revealed God's self to Noah and to Abraham's old point in the sermon series, but in this particular case, so God has claimed God's people and is going to now fulfill the earlier promise to Abraham by planting them in the promised land, and making them as numerous as the stars in the sky. And the thing that has to happen for that to be successful is that we have to, our end of the deal is that we have to remain committed to the one God. So in the first commandment where it says in verse three is what we're at the top of the podcast. um, So I am the Lord, your God, you shall have no other gods before me. The presumption there is the existence of other gods. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's not to say there are actually other gods. What that's saying is everyone around you assumes there are other gods. Mm-hmm. There are no other gods. Baal, it doesn't exist. Um, you know, name the various pagan gods. Uh, they had just come from Egypt where everything was a god, right? Right. So this this notion of blessing the thousandth generation for those who believe and adhere to that monotheism versus cursing just to the third and fourth generation, those who don't believe that is actually inherently gracious, okay. <laughs> right? Cause the blessing far outweighs the curse, but the emphasis is on not only believing this yourself, but then ensuring the prosperity of your offspring by making sure they know it too. Okay. When we get to the Shema in, uh, Deuteronomy 6, hero Israel, there's only one God. Like it's, it's yeah. the thing. It's the daily prayer that, um, that 
our faith ancestors were expected to recite. I'm actually going to flip to this and read it because it's important. It's the and it's the, it gets to the same point. Here, uh, this is Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Keep these words that I'm commanding you, commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What words? <laughs> The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. There's only one God, that God you shall love with everything that you have. And if you do that, your uh, offspring, which is the most important thing in the ancient world, I mean, I would argue the most important thing for, like in my life, it certainly is, I'm guessing your life too, they will be uh, blessed to the thousandth generation if you hold on to this monotheistic faith. Okay. As modern people, we read that as, oh my God, three and four generations of people are going to be cursed because your parents don't believe? Well, we got to read that in context. In the context of the broader society, where they are this literally small persecuted minority right. <laughs> who believe something that nobody else believes, um, and the, the blessing that immediately follows the curse. Okay. That was good. No, that's really good. Hell, just because I think people can get tripped up with stuff like that mm-hmm. and so i think that was a, a very good explanation now there's something else we probably you know in psychology um you know there's something and as pastors we study family systems theory and the idea of family systems theory is um that patterns in a family repeat themselves over and over again right and in in the case of family systems theory uh in a, in a therapeutic sense the idea is unhealthy patterns will repeat themselves unless something is done to break those patterns. So mm-hmm. if you have a pattern of abuse, a pattern of um, addiction, it's it's true that generations are affected by an unhealthy pattern. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of patently obvious. In fact, you can look at family systems and you can do a genogram and you can diagram, you know, cut off relationships and, and who was addicted and who hit who and all these things. And you'll see them repeat it generation after generation until somebody in the subsequent generation says, well, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. Yep. And you break that pattern. So it's, uh, to me, there's a similar, a similar thing at play here. Yeah. That's a, that's a good connection. I never thought about it that way. Um, okay. So the, you say that these laws really were a form of discipline mm-hmm. and, but then you talk about how things, um, I think first, century Jews uh, really looked at Micah 6, 8, which is, as we, if, if you want to read it. Um, you don't know it off the top of your head? I don't know. I always get it mixed up. Um, <laughs> he has told you, O mortal, a test. Am I looking at my Bible? No, he's not. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord <laughs> require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. So, <clears throat> and then Jesus comes in and narrows it down to love God, love neighbor. Yes. Now, the thing I would say there to clarify, yeah, it's not that the early rabbis or the rabbis in Jesus' day narrowed down the law. Okay. It's that they, they believed that, that Micah 6, some believed that, that Micah 6, 8 passage was a, kind of a summary of the law. Okay. Right. So, so it's not that you only have to do these three things. It's yeah. that if you're doing these three things, you are, in fact, following the law. So why did they just say that? Because I feel like they wasted a lot of time creating 613, you know, like... <laughs> Um, well, I don't really believe it. I just think it's funny. That's like, well, we could have summed it up. 
in this one line. <laughs> uh, this is a really good, no, this is a really good question though, because like when our kids are young, you have to be very specific with them, right? There are lots more overtly stated rules uh, with a young yes. child, uh-huh. right? By the time they get older and they're more mature and they know how the household works, well, you don't have the long list of rules. You have the general principles. Okay. And I would say the very similar thing is at work here. Yeah. Um, an, an, the analogy, I'm not a huge jazz fan um, of, the, of that genre, but uh, I know enough about jazz to know that you can't really be an exquisite jazz musician until you know all the basic rules of music. <laughs> and yeah. you have to have those internalized and you have to have, and you have to know how music works mm-hmm. before you can riff with another musician for 30 minutes on this one theme. Right. Right. So similar thing at play. Like once you know all the rules, then it's, it's the principles that matter more than the rules. Okay. And so to me, that's a natural evolution of, <laughs> um, there are some funny ones that we'll probably get to, uh, but like don't eat rock badger. That's my favorite. And so I was really sad about that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't apply to you anymore. I know. Axe fixed that. Oh, okay, right? good. Peter can eat anything. Good to order some. I don't know. You get it? Rock yeah. badger? Yeah. Rock badger delight or whatever. Uh-huh. Yep. So, but I mean, that, that, that specific one probably had a, like a practical function yeah. about food safety, but there are other much more specific ones, um, that end up turning into principles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So the 10 commandments still are important to us, even though we have Jesus. So can you talk about why we hold, we still value these? I mean, the premise of your question is that they're still important. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go out and say they're not important. I'm okay. not going to say, I'm not saying that because obviously everything on that list is something we should be doing, mm-hmm. but they're not our emphasis. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're, pa- you and I are pastors. We hear all the time about like, keep the Sabbath. That's the one everybody always talks about. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You don't hear people reminding you not, do not commit adultery. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Right. You don't hear anybody reminding you to not lie. We know we're not supposed to lie, for heaven's sake. Don't murder. Of course. Well, not, yes, no kidding. Yeah. Um, so to me, as as Christians, I think while it's important to know, I mean, I think it's important to know and read the entire Bible, but to, to me, Jesus' summary, love God, love neighbor, is is kind of much more to the point <laughs> mm-hmm. if we if we love god then we should keep the sabbath by uh, the sabbath one's a whole separate kind of category of like there's two different there's there's two different justifications for keeping the sabbath or reasons to keep the sabbath one is that god god self rested on the seventh day mm-hmm. and that's the priestly account and then the uh earlier uh, account is because we were slaves in egypt and we should rest to remember where we came from, both of which are wonderful, two different, entirely different reasons. But one way we, that's a, that's a, a way that we love God. We honor what God has done for us. We honor who God is by keeping Sabbath. Um, none of us have to be reminded that there's only one God. <laughs> like we, don't, we don't struggle with that really. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think we do. So as Christians, it really, when, when Jesus said there are two great commandments, I mean, I think we can take them at his word. Mm-hmm. 
Now, he also says in Matthew, I have not, I have not come to abolish the law, which is interesting. Yeah. It would make sense. He's a, he was a Jewish man. Correct. <laughs> uh, but to fulfill. Well, then, okay. So then, to me, the fulfillment of the law is placing our faith in Christ and living out that faith by loving God, loving neighbor. Yeah. So you will not find the Ten Commandments on the walls of my house. Yeah. On my kids' door, on my kids' rooms. I've never expected them to memorize the Ten Commandments. But they're an important part of our faith history. It's to me as the, the snapshot in time of this particular covenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the Ten Commandments, uh, in light of when you look at love God and love neighbor, like, okay, what does it mean to not steal and put it in the context of love your neighbor. Like, I think it is a good exercise sometimes to go through them and see, in like modern times, what does this mean for us? Yeah. Like, thou shalt not steal. Am I taking more than my portion hmm. in in different ways? Whatever that looks like. Oh, now you're getting meddling, though. I know, I'm getting meddling. Um, that was for Whitney. Um, <laughs> but no, I think it is good, because I think you look like, oh gosh, those are just so outdated. But they do really, as we've said before, love God and love neighbor really does cover like everything when you like break it down you're like oh it, it's still like you can parse them out and like oh yep 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 it is it is pretty incredible it is and i would actually say that if we're going to be taking a deep dive on the law let's not overly give ourselves credit for the obvious stuff that we don't do okay ooh, <laughs> ooh yeah okay uh-huh. oh, like i don't expect you to lie to me i don't expect you to murder anybody i love i don't expect you to one to take my car home with you like uh, come on these are basic rules of our interactions with each other as humans yeah but if you look at 613 laws you know what the theme is obviously love god Mm -hmm. right but then it's care for the widow the orphan the poor and the stranger Mm -hmm. we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about that yeah that actually gets a lot more airtime consistently in the law than the top 10 Mm mm-hmm and they're not even the top 10. They're the first 10. <laughs> right. You're, we're not ranking them. They're really. not, they're, I mean, <laughs> now, I think God would be on board with the first four being really super important. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, God outranks us. So, but when you read the text, it doesn't say, here are the first 10, here are the most important 10, and then here are 603 for your consideration. <laughs> it, Moses says, here's the law of the covenant. Yeah. And the theme of the law is about caring for each other in truly radical ways. You are meddling when you say, don't take more than my share. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's a fair point. It's a very fair point. Yeah. <clears throat> and, but that, like, what, what does it look like to love neighbor? Well, remember that our neighbor doesn't just include the people who live next to us in our fancy neighborhoods. Yes. Mm-hmm. Jesus has something about that too. Yes. Okay. Okay, are there any from the other, from the total 613 that you thought were random, radical, or maybe even made you chuckle? Well, let's see. Chapter 21. Here's verse 7. Okay. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt unfairly with her. If he designates her for his son, 
he shall deal with her as with a daughter. If he, like, there's a whole, these are very extensive rules for slave keeping. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Verse 16 in that same chapter. Whoever kidnaps a person, whether that person has been sold or is still held in possession, shall be put to death. Ooh. Whoever strikes father or mother, verse 15, shall be put to death. Verse 17. Whoever curses father or mother shall be put to death. Ooh. Yikes. Yeah. Very famously, Jesus uh, quotes this in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 23 of that 21st chapter. If any harm follows, you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. That That's what I was talking about earlier, where that's a, that's a restrictive rule mm-hmm. meant to make us more humane, which I think is... And then Jesus reinterprets it and says, well, I mean, <laughs> he doesn't call out Moses directly. He says, you have heard it said, mm-hmm. an eye for an eye. Well, Moses said that, <laughs> Jesus. Um, but that's when he reinterprets it to turn the other cheek. Tell me, tell me how well we do at this, okay? Okay. Chapter 22, verse 25. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you shall not deal with them as a creditor. You shall not exact interest from them. I'm going to say it's a not so good on that. <laughs> I mean, the whole banking industry yeah. out the window. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a capitalist just for the... Just for the record, I won't say that on the record. Okay. On the record here. All right. Um, the the this is why the relationship between us and the law, we've always had. It's always been kind of. I mean, I guess at times we could say ambivalent. At times it can be like we just don't look at that. What we look, we turn the other cheek. <laughs> we mm-hmm. you know we or at least we turn our eye away from some of those things we don't like. Um, which is why I think. I don't know. It's just why it's curious to me that we, that there is sometimes this heavy emphasis on the first 10, um, because those are kind of the easiest ones to keep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you keep reading and you get the tough ones. Yeah. Um, I mean, immigration policy, mm-hmm. if immigration policy was truly influenced by the law, I, we, I, I just, it would be very tough to manage. Like this was this was um, written in a time before nation states and before grand economies and before like so our I, I think what that's why it's most helpful and most healthy for us to try to make sense of the two great commandments that Jesus gave us in light of our current circumstances and not get too bogged down in the law of the covenant. What but so as Christians, what we can say is the law of the covenant with Moses. Um, was the first time that God gave us as part of our relationship, very clear expectations. And we over the centuries and through subsequent covenants have um, been given new revelation about what, how that relationship should be shaped. But the ethos is still consistent that we have to love God first and that we have to truly take seriously our responsibilities to one another. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Is there anything else you want to kind of say about what the Ten Commandments teach us about God or this or this covenant or anything else you wanted to make sure you got to talk about? I think the lesson for me, and it's the one that I emphasized in the sermon, is that, um, like I used the word discipline just because it had the connection to sports and I wanted to use that kind of controlling metaphor for the whole sermon. Yeah. Um, but... Another word would be expectations, that in our relationship with God, yes, it's freely given. God always moves first. Our faith in Christ secures our salvation. All of that is true. 
And that comes with certain expectations in the exact same way as our parents love us unconditionally. As a parent, I love my boys unconditionally and I still have expectations for how we're in relationship with one another. Right. That's healthy. That's, that's the way, that's the way relationships work. And we truly are in a relationship with God who does expect certain things of us. And while we're free to eat rock badger now (laughs) and, um, banking is not sinning. I don't believe that. Uh, still there are some pretty, pretty significant expectations God, God has for us. And so, uh, as the, as the series unfolds, we'll, we'll hear some more about what we understand in our relationship with Christ, those expectations to be. Okay. Speaking of which, that's your subject next week. It is. Yeah. So what are you preaching on next week? Uh, you know, not intimidating scripture at all. So it's John three fourteen through 21, I mm-hmm. think. Is there a famous one in there? Um, yes. <clears throat> that you can quote without having to look at your Bible? For God to love the world that he gave his only, and I mean, there's begotten, you know, all kinds yeah, yeah. of son. Um, so it's a little intimidating. Well, keep going. It's only the first part of the verse. So we got, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that. You don't have to do it verbatim, but what's the, like? What's that promise? Like there? not to condemn, but to save. Yeah, so that anyone who believes in him, yeah, may not perish, perish but may have eternal life. Mm-hmm. So in that in that John three sixteen passage, which uh, and earlier in that same passage, he refers to a story from Numbers, which you'll, you'll be talking yes. about as well. Yeah. So we're kind of doing this survey of of the of the uh, Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. So yeah. we've been in Genesis today. Uh, this sermon was in Exodus. We're going to. Uh, numbers. numbers, but the key for our new for the new covenant, what we call the new covenant, mm-hmm. is our faith in Him. That secures that relationship, and then there's still going to be expectations. Yeah, right. So yeah, I'm doing that, which is intimidating because you love John. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about that. You always do a great job when you preach, and Stephanie as well. So yeah, I think next week actually you guys are going to be in a conversation about that. It is. It'll be the two of us. So I'm very excited for that spring break for Plano schools. Mm-hmm. You don't, you're not yet governed by the laws I'm, of spring break. I'm not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Very close. Next right? year. Next, Next year. year. So um, anyway. All right. Well, listen, thanks for the conversation. Yep. Appreciate you. And uh, listeners, it's always great to be with you. Glad you tuned into off script. It's a joy for us to be with you every week. Have a wonderful week and we'll uh, see you soon. God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Script. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd and Reverend Reagan Gilland. Produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.